And this is the title of my message this morning. Milk or meat? Say to the person next to you, milk or meat? Which is it going to be for us this year? Let's look at the scripture together. I'm reading 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'm going to read verses 1 to 15 in the New Living Translation. It's going to be on the screen for you to follow. Dear brothers and sisters, that's you. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, this is Paul talking, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger, and you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with one another. Doesn't that prove you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like people of the world? After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers and you are God's field, you are God's building. Because of God's grace to me, I've laid the foundation like an expert builder, now others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw, but on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward, but if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames." Lord, we look to you this morning at the start of 2020. We want to pray that you'll speak to our hearts, that you'll posture us for this year ahead, Lord, that you'll touch us, that we'll, Lord, hear your voice speaking to us this morning, Lord. I want to pray that this message would change each one of us, Lord. I pray it would change me. I pray it would change everyone sitting in this room, Lord, that we would go forward into 2020 with a different mindset and with a different uh, resolve and motivation. In Jesus' name we pray. Help us now, Holy Spirit. Amen. So this is the first of Paul's letters to the Corinthians. It's actually the second one, but the first one got lost. But Paul is writing this letter. He uh, spent 18 months in the church in Corinth, and then after he has left, he's writing this letter back to them to give them a perspective on how things are going in the church. And so let's just take a little look about the city of Corinth as we start this message. There's a map on the wall here, and my head is conveniently placed pretty much where Corinth is, where that red marker is. This is Greece. If you didn't realize Corinth was in Greece, this is Greece. Thank you. 
And you can see that Corinth is right on the, the part of the map where there's a very narrow little neck of land. We think we're in the narrow part of the UK, don't we, where we've only got 100 miles across from here to the Lake District. Well, Corinth is only four miles across that part of Greece. And so Corinth was one of the affluent big cities in Greece in the time of the Bible. There were about 250,000 people living there, free people, and another 400,000 slaves lived in the city. And it was a busy seaport with two harbours because uh, what would happen is the ships would sail into Corinth, they would unload, then they would drag the ship four miles across land on rollers and then put it back in the sea the other side and sail off so that they didn't have to go around all the dangerous seas and islands and what have you in the southern part of Greece. So they were sort of going east-west, west-east, and then you can see it's the way north-south as well, this little tiny strip of land. So Corinth was a really influential city. And it was an international centre for commerce, and so there were a lot of different ethnicities there. It was very ethnically diverse. And you had the Greeks, who obviously lived in Greece, and they loved ideas and philosophy and so on. But the city also had a reputation for being uh, somewhere where there was a real reckless pursuit of pleasure. And it was known for partying, it was known for drunkenness, and loose sexual morals. Uh, people in the city worshipped Apollo, and they also worshipped the goddess Aphrodite at over 12 temples to her in the city. And there were more than a 1,000 male and female temple prostitutes in Corinth. In fact, there was a word in the society at that time, and the word was to Corinthianize, and it meant to practice sexual immorality. That's how much this city was identified with this sort of culture. And so it was very intellectually inclined, it was materially prosperous, but it was morally corrupt. And Paul writes to the church to remind them that they have been called to be different, and they have been called to be holy and sanctified and set apart for the Lord. They need to leave their old way of life behind now that they're following Jesus. And here's the big question. Is the church going to influence the city or is the city going to influence the church? Which is it going to be? Now shut your eyes for a minute and think of our city because actually I could have been describing Newcastle a little bit to you just then. You know, we, we're a very academic, prosperous city, but we've got a lot going on in our city that's not to the glory of God. So here's the question. Shut your eyes, and I'm going to say it out loud and think of it in terms of our city. Is the church going to influence the city of Newcastle, or is the city going to influence the church? Okay? That's the sort of question that's undergirding what I'm talking about today, because there is a difference between being involved in the world and being entangled in the world, and we need to understand that difference, okay? We have to be involved in the world. We want to see people saved and won to Christ. We want to show them the love of Jesus. Of course, we should be involved in the world, but Jesus says you're of the world. You're in the world, but you're not of it. You're in the world, but not of it. We have to be involved with the world, but not entangled in the way that the world does things. Last week, Clive challenged us from a passage in 2 Peter, those of you that were able to be here, chapter 1, and we read there about everything we do 
we need to do to live a godly life. We're supposed to be, as Christians, productive and fruitful. We should make every effort to respond to God's word and his promises over our lives. We should be as Christians. We should expect to see evidence of that in our lives. And verse 10 in 2 Peter chapter 1 says, Work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Now, in 1 Corinthians, Paul opens this letter with a similar kind of theme. That's why I'm speaking on it this morning. He reminds the believers that they've been chosen. They've been called. They've been made holy and given every spiritual gift, every promise that they need to partner with Jesus in his work here on earth. That's true for us. We have been given every spiritual gift we need to partner with Jesus and do his work here on earth. Amen? Well, Paul lived among these Corinthians for 18 months, like I said, and then he left, and then he wrote this letter back to them to address some things that he'd heard about happening in the church. And he starts chapter 3, Dear Brothers and Sisters, So he's clearly talking to the believers, just in case you should think that the sorts of things he then goes on to say are about unbelievers. They're not. He's talking to the church. He says, dear brothers and sisters. And at this point in Corinth, actually, they didn't have a church uh, building. Remember, the church building is the building, and we are the church. The church in Corinth at this time had been going for about 18 months, and they were meeting packed into people's homes. They didn't have a building. And remember, they have every spiritual gift they need to do the work of God. Yet Paul says to them, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. In fact, he says, I had to talk to you as though you belonged to the world. I had to talk to you as though you were infants or babies in Christ. So what's Paul getting at? What is stopping these Corinthian believers from being the productive, fruitful, growing Christians that is in God's heart for them to be? Well, let's dip backward a little bit into chapter 2, where Paul reminds the church that uh, human wisdom can never take the place of the Holy Spirit and the power of God because that's how the Greeks were. They, they thought it, they could sort of work it all out in their mind. And Paul says, no, you need the Holy Spirit. It's about the wisdom of God. And he's talking about Christ crucified, and he says this that's come up on the screen there for you. When we tell you these things, we don't use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the spirit means. So in this passage here in the preceding chapter, we've got two sorts of people. Did you see them there? What's the two sorts of people that we've got in this uh, description here? Spiritual and unspiritual, yeah? Would you agree? There are two types of people here, spiritual and unspiritual. Those who are spiritual and those who are not spiritual, or those who are natural, some versions say. And listen, when we talk about natural, 
that sort of is a good thing in our society, isn't it? You know, her hair was really natural colour, or uh, they, she, he was really natural with the children, or something like that. But here, it is not a compliment <laughs> to say that you aren't natural. So, your natural is the same as being unspiritual in this passage. So, natural here, or unspiritual, means someone who only lives in the physical realm. Someone who has no spiritual insight or awareness. Someone who is materialistic and concerned and wrapped up with money and success and possessions. Someone who is fleshy. I know it's after Christmas and all that. <laughs> but anyway. Someone who doesn't want or understand the things of God. Someone who doesn't want or doesn't understand the things of God. That's someone who is natural or not spiritual. And in contrast, those people who are spiritual understand what the Spirit means. They can evaluate all things. The passage tells us they can receive and understand and live the truths of the Bible. They have the mind of Christ, it says there. I'm sure you've read that verse and, and noticed it in the past. They have the mind of Christ. They know how God is thinking and how God wants them to be and act. So there are two groups of people, right? Spiritual, natural, sheep, goats, believers, unbelievers, those who are going to heaven and those who are going to the other place, who are going to hell. That's the two groups that we read about here. Agreed. Okay, we're agreed. Well, let's go back to chapter 3. Because in chapter 3, we read about a third group. Did you know there is a third group here? It's not just believers and unbelievers. It's not just spiritual and unspiritual. There is a third group, and Paul tells us about them here in this passage. Paul says, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people, but they're not natural people either because they're believers. Right? Are you following me? We know they're believers, but he says, I couldn't talk to you as if you were spiritual peoples, people. So they're not natural or fleshy, and they're not spiritual either. Here's what another version of the Bible calls them. It uses this word. The literal translation for this third group is carnal. Carnal or fleshly. If we read this passage in the New King James, which you're seeing there, it says, I, brethren, couldn't speak to you as to spiritual people, but to, as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk, uh, not with solid food, because you were not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able, because you are still carnal. You're still behaving like mere men. They should behave differently, but they don't. They believe in Jesus, Dear brethren, dear sisters, dear people in the church, this is who Paul is talking to, they believe in Jesus, but they're not living like they believe in Jesus. They carry on living the same way as they were before. This is serious. It's really serious. If we say the same things, we go to the same places, we read the same books, we watch the same movies, we listen to the same music, we do the same stuff as the unbelievers. We're just the same as everybody else. We'll never realize all the promises that God has given for us. We'll never really uh, 
enter into the destiny that he has for us. That really makes me sit up straight and think. Does it make you? You've gone a bit quiet. Is that okay? They should behave differently. They believe in Jesus, but they carry on living the same way as they did before. In this passage, it said, like mere men. You're not a mere man. Once you believe in Jesus, you're not a mere woman anymore. You are different. You are spiritual. Something has changed. Uh, Over Christmas, Ben and Karis went down to Ascot, and they went on the train. And coming back, they had some challenges with... uh, having to change trains and so on and get onto a very crowded train and it was all a bit like that. And it was reminding me, once Clive and I came back from a conference in London and we had gone on the train and come back on the train and we booked it so far ahead, it was one of those, you can go first class for an extra £20 or something, you know, yes! I wouldn't pay 100 and something, of course, but £20, right, we're booking our first class seat, this is great. So we traipse across London, drag all our suitcases on the underground, get to the train to come home, and we're really excited about this first class seat home. And uh, we get on the platform, here's our seat, coach C, seat 22 or whatever. We walk along the train, B, D. <laughs> uh, so we walk back the other way, D, B. So then we walk all the way up the train to find coach C, and coach C just is not on the train. It's just not there. And so we say to the guard, well, we've got these tickets. Oh, sorry, mate. You know how it goes. And we had to sit all the way home to Newcastle in the little space, you know, between carriages where the toilet is, where everyone sort of puts all their luggage. We had to sit on the floor all the way home just to let you know that there's no special treatment for us, you know. And in fact, it got worse because the train got so crowded that we ended up having to stand because there was no room to sit on the floor. Someone once said that... Living in this third category, this carnal or fleshly category, is like being born again, being given first-class tickets, but always just traveling third-class or sitting on the floor. You've got a first-class ticket. We shouldn't be sitting on the floor. We should be different. We ought to be different. We should be different. And we can be different. Verse 2 says, I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. There's a similar passage in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, and it says, You've been believers for so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You're like babies who need milk and can't eat solid food. Well, how long is so long? Paul says to the believers, in Hebrews it says, you've been believers so long now, you should be on solid food. How long is so long? Well, the church in Corinth was 18 months old. It was 18 months old. That's how long the church had been going in Corinth. So that's how old the believers were. So if you think you're a baby in the Lord and that you can kind of come in on a different ticket and you don't have to do serious stuff yet or eat meat yet, you don't get a let out. Okay, these guys are stuck on milk because they are not living out what they had already received. They'd had teaching, they'd had input, they'd had everything they needed to live this godly life. 
all the spiritual gifts to do the work of the Lord and partner with him, but they're not living what they've already received. This book on which my iPad is resting is supposed to change us. Say, change me, Lord. This is supposed to change us. We don't stay the same. Every time we get together, it should change us. When we hear a sermon, not just because it's me, whoever it is, it should change us in some way, even a small way. When we come and we're with our city group, now, remember, we're with our city group, not at our city group. We don't go to a city group. We are a city group. When we are with our city group, it should change us. Something should connect with us from the life of God and it should change us. In seven days' time, we're going to be sat here again. Well, I hope you are. If I haven't scared you all off today, (laughs) please come back. In seven days' time, we're going to be sat here again and we should have changed in some way or won some small victory in how we spoke to someone, how we were kind and not harsh or how we didn't tell an untruth when we could have done or whatever it is, we should, something different because we're believers, should be in our week this week. Amen? If it doesn't happen, that is a problem. We should be making every effort, Clive told us last week out of of, uh, Peter, to to our spiritual man. And in that list last week, there were plenty of things to choose from and keep us busy for a very long time. I don't know if you can remember any of the things Clive talked about last week, if you were here. Godliness, being partakers, persevering. Listen, if you weren't here, did you listen to it online? Did you make every effort? Amen. Well done. I knew you'd say yes. Well done, Busola. She's always really good like that. I'm not, I sound like I'm hammering you a bit this morning, don't I? I'm hammering me too. I want us to be stirred up to think, I don't want to be found in that middle category. I don't want to be a carnal, fleshly believer. That's kind of worse than being an unbeliever almost to me. I want to be someone who wants to make every effort to grow in God. He spoke about faith, moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, patient endurance, and schools go back tomorrow, you're okay, or the next day. But godliness, brotherly affection, love for everyone. That's before we even start on the list of the fruits of the Spirit that we could be looking at. So what way did we change this week? In what way did I change this week? Did I make every effort? Listen, there's two words that we talk about a lot in church. And they're sort of quite churchy words, but we really need to understand them. And you've probably heard them. They are the words justified and sanctified. Justified and sanctified. Have you heard those two words? They sound quite churchy words, don't they? They sound quite important and serious. We need to understand the difference between them. Uh, An easy way you've probably heard before of explaining it is that justified is what Jesus does for us when we come to him and we put our trust in him. We say he's our saviour, he's our Lord. He makes it just as if I had never sinned. He makes us right with God through the blood that he shed on the cross. That's what it means to be justified. We are made right 
with God. We move from that category of being unspiritual people into being spiritual people. We are justified. We are made right with God. Justification or justified is an event in time that happens to you when you make that decision. And if you've not made that decision yet, please make it today because it's the best decision you will ever make. But the other word, sanctified, is a process. Sanctified means being made holy, being made like Jesus, becoming more and more like Jesus. And so we're justified in an instant. We're saved. We're going to heaven. But sanctification happens Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, today, tomorrow. It's a process. And it doesn't just happen because time is passing. It only happens when we really get a hold of this book and we let it change us and transform us. Otherwise, we will be in that awful middle place of being carnal or fleshly believers, like Paul is addressing in this book of Corinthians. Justified and sanctified are different. Paul tells the believers, you know, you're not spiritual because your relationships are all over the place. You're arguing and quarreling and jealous and competing against one another. You've got cliques and favorite pastors and favorite preachers and you think you're better than them and you think that they're not as good as you and all this kind of thing. He says, you're not spiritual if you're behaving like that. Listen, we're not following men in this church or women. We're following Jesus. We should be imitating one another and we should be certain to be living lives that other people want to imitate. By all means, if you see anything of Christ in me, imitate it. But you're not following me. We're following Jesus together, okay? Two things we've got to do to grow as spiritual men and women. Number one, this, they're both in this passage, and it's great. Paul doesn't ever just give us the problem. He doesn't just tell us what's this, the issue. He gives us the solution. He gives us what we can do to change things. Would you like to change this year? Yeah. It's the time of year, isn't it? It's the time of year where you make all sorts of New Year's resolutions to be different. And I know the statistics show that we've all given up by the 14th of January usually. So we're halfway to giving up if you even started at all. And if you haven't started, why don't you make a couple of resolutions this morning in the Lord? And I'm going to tell you what this passage says to do. And I'm going to make these two of my goals this year because I want to be found in that category of believers who are spiritual who are growing in God, who are doing the work of the Lord, who are doing what counts. I don't want to spend a year and not make progress in my life in God. Do you? No, we want to grow in him. We want to go on in him and be more like him. So number one, if we want to grow as spiritual men and women this year, give up milk. Get onto solids. There's nothing wrong with milk when you're a baby. 
I had three new grandchildren this year, as you will know. Karis had baby Halvard, and Richard, well, he came first, actually. Richard Manuela had baby Joy Rose over in America and Colombia. Then Karis, a week later, had baby Halvard, and now Lily and Doug have got baby Jonah. And they all started off on milk. But if they're all still just having milk this time next year, you would probably think there's something wrong. You should think there's something wrong. A baby should not just be drinking milk when it is a year old. There's something wrong. Listen, we start off on milk, and you can still have a splash of milk in your coffee, right, even when you're an adult, but you don't just want to be drinking milk and only milk. When I was a, a new Christian, I remember somebody giving me a little Bible reading devotional book. Who's had a little devotional book when they were new Christians to read? It's a great way to get started off. And they gave me this little paperback book. And in those days, everybody liked the New Living Translation. It was like a, in, uh, yeah, it was a translation. And it was in very sort of easy, everyday English. And this little paperback book, I can still see it now. The title of it was Cool, How a Kid Should Live. Anyone else come across? Am I the only one that had that to start me off in my Christian life? Every day, there would be a little verse from the New Living Bible in this book, and then a little thought about it, and then a little space, three lines at the bottom of every page, to write what you were going to do different having read that verse. Great! It was wonderful. But would you not think there was something wrong if I was still reading that every day now? Yes. Say yes. You should say the answer is yes. If in case you're confused, the answer should definitely be yes. I should not still be reading a sweet little verse a day that kind of, you know, encourages my heart in some way. I should be moving on to meat. Listen, milk is easy to swallow. Meat has to be chewed. It takes longer to eat. You can glug the milk down in no time at all. Meat, a steak, you've got to take your time over it and chew it properly before you swallow it, or it won't do any good at all to you. It'll just give you indigestion and make you feel unwell. It takes time to eat milk. Give up meat. Oops. Give up milk and get onto solids is number one uh, resolution this year. If we want to be effective and increasing this year, we'll only be able to do that if we get onto meat. Now, a baby will put anything in their mouth. Is that right? They, they just put anything in their mouth. Richard sent a toy, for one for Jonah and one for Halvard this Christmas, and it was like a little one of these wooden blocks with posts and shapes, you know, and the triangle shapes would only fit on the post with the triangle shape, and the round ones would only go on the post with the round one. So I was playing with Halvard the other day, and I was sort of being clever, and I put them all on my finger, and went, and he took one look at me, grabbed my finger, and put it in his mouth, and bit hard. Because he thought my finger was a toy, no doubt. He didn't mean to um, injure my finger, I know. But babies put everything in their mouth. That's why you have to watch things and not leave the bleach around and those little batteries around that are really, really dangerous for kids. Seriously, that's just a freebie there. Lock all your little batteries away. Um, Babies put anything in their mouth. But we should be more discerning about what goes in our mouth. 
Remember, Paul said, you're still not ready, you're still not able to eat meat, though you should be, because you're still controlled by your sinful nature, that old carnal side of things. As we mature, we should get more discerning about what we eat, just like we do with our food, so we should do with our spiritual lives. We should think about what goes into our spiritual mouth, our spiritual ears and we need to choose to invest in our spiritual man and choose to be people who are controlled by the spirit and the holy spirit is the key to living a mature meat-eating life in god he is our teacher he is our equipper he is our help he comes alongside us we I want to stop being controlled by my sinful nature. We, I'm sure, want to stop being controlled by a sinful nature. We want to become the spiritual men and women that God intends for us to be. Amen? So number one, if you want to be that spiritual man and woman this year, give up the milk and get onto the meat. Say to the person next to you, give up the milk, get onto the meat. Get on to the meat, okay? And it takes time. You have to, remember, you're going to have to put time in. You're going to have to invest. You can't just read that happy little blessed verse on your way to the bus stop. In the, it was a cool book, How a Kid Should Live, but we want to be eating meat. Number two, this passage tells us, build on the foundation of Christ in our lives with quality materials. Build with quality materials. Paul says the foundation for every Christian and every church is Christ. There isn't any other foundation. Verse 11, no one can lay any other foundation. If the foundation in your life is not Jesus, I'm going to say you're not a Christian. The foundation in the life of a believer is Jesus. He's the only foundation, and no one can lay another one. But we get to choose what we build on that foundation, what we put on it. What are we building for Christ? The foundation isn't the problem. It's what we choose to build upon it. And I chose that word choose carefully because it is a choice. We, every one of us, have a choice. Just like you can choose what you eat, what you put on when you get up out of your wardrobe and you choose how to dress every day. Killer heels to preach in and I shall have to get out of them soon. But anyway, we choose, we choose what we build on the foundation of our lives. It's our choice. No one else makes it for you. It's not Clive's fault if I don't build on the foundation in my life. It's not Steve Foreman's fault. It's not Joy's fault. It's not my kid's fault that they, you know, or whatever. It's not my neighbor's fault. It's me that gets to choose what I build on the spiritual foundation of Christ in my life. I choose how I spend my time. I choose what I build with and how I build. But you will be building something. You're going to be built, you know, you're going through life whether you're choosing the gold and the silver and the precious stones or the wood and the hay and the stubble. You'll be building something. And I want to make an intentional choice to build with things that have eternal value and last. Amen? 
We will be rewarded for our own work, this passage tells us. On the judgment day, we'll see what kind of work each builder has done. It tells us that in this passage, uh, verse 13, on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if, any, if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. There is a reward for us in heaven. Listen, remember, we're justified. We're going to heaven. We believe in Jesus. That's a given. But there is a reward it's not about whether you get in through those pearly gates that we kind of people imagine. Whether, you know, that, that if you believe in Jesus, you're going to go to heaven. But when you get there, there will be a reward for you. And that reward will be based on what you have built in your life and in your ministry for the Lord. You have a choice. You have a choice. You won't be able to blame me if you stand before the Lord and your work gets burnt up. I won't be able to blame Stu Vinton. I might like to. No. <laughs> we'll, that will be it for us. We'll stand before the Lord and he will reward us according to what we have built in our lives. The build, and if, if what we've built gets burnt up and turns out to be wood, hay and stubble, then we will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Have you seen the... You must have seen all these... Terribly tragic news reports from Australia this week of the bushfires raging across the southern and eastern part of that country. I mean, it, it's tragic, isn't it? Re- really tragic. And people are losing their homes. Some people are losing their lives. It's just some of the pictures, you know, it's just like embers fl- are flying 15 miles and setting things on fire, starting new fires 15 miles away. The sky is like this sort of blood red color and all these guys fighting these fires they're volunteers they, they don't have a paid fire brigade in the states they're volunteers fighting these fires and uh, what they have to do after the fire is passed over they have to go and check that every little pocket of flames has been put out and so they go and check every home and make sure there's no pocket that could restart burning again and there was a picture on one news report last week that i saw And it was a woman, and she was embracing this firefighter and hugging him outside the ruins of her burnt-out home. And she was embracing him because as he'd been going through her home and he had been uh, checking that there were no pockets of fire, he had found three precious rings that she had uh, were in the home. Everything else was burnt, but these precious rings, gold and diamonds, had survived the fire, and and she was receiving them from him and just so touched, obviously, to have something back from her life. But that's how it's going to be. Everything that isn't gold and silver and precious won't survive. Only the things that are quality are going to survive. And I want to say, let's not build with things that won't last. Don't do it in your life. Don't do it in your family. And don't do it in the church. Remember, we're partners with Jesus. We're co-workers with him. We all have the responsibility of building the church. Let's not build the church with things that won't last. I think the only thing sadder for me than spending your life building with wood, hay, and stubble would be not building anything at all. You know, we, we, oh, This is a year of increasing. 
That's the word we feel over this year. Increasing. The life of God increasing in each one of us. What we build for him increasing. Uh, the life among us increasing. His presence with us increasing. The work of the Holy Spirit in us increasing. This is a year of in, not just increase, but increasing. That momentum, that growth. Let's not sit here next year the same. Amen? With the same people in the room, sitting next to the same people, the same faces that we know. Let's have something different to look at by this time next year in us and in the people that are around us in this church family. Amen? Let's build something really great this year. We all have the same great foundation of Jesus. And let's build well this year. Amen? It's about... Oh, I'm going to tell you a story now. I was telling this story to Alison yesterday, and I'm just going to tell it you because I felt really convicted by it myself. I was talking to a lady this year, and she was telling me how she and her husband had been at a church conference, and they'd been staying in a hotel, and the hotel was arranged such that the rooms overlooked a central atrium. So you came out of your room onto the corridor, and there was a little sort of half wall, and you could look over down into the hotel lobby. And they came out of their room for breakfast one morning, and they heard a commotion. And so they looked over the edge into the atrium, and somebody was collapsed on the floor of the hotel lobby. And I think they were on about floor 15, something like that. But they could see that someone had collapsed, and people were trying to resuscitate this person. It was a man who was on the floor of the lobby. And so they kind of saw this going on, and they got in the lift, and uh, they went down. And when they, the lift door opened in the hotel lobby, by now the paramedics had arrived, and they'd got the defibrillators there, and everything was... You know, people. When I say everything was happening, they were trying to resuscitate this man, but no, he, nothing was happening. So she said, "Oh, let's go back up to our room quick. You know, I don't want to be in the way. I don't want it to seem like we're staring, and I don't want to walk past and go to breakfast. Let's just go back up to our room." Uh, and he said, "I can't do that." And she was sort of thinking, "Oh no, he's going to do something that's really going to embarrass me here." And um, you know, let's just go back to our room and you know, not make this situation any worse, kind of thing. And he said, "I can't. I'm a Christian." I can't walk past someone dying. I'm a believer. So he went, uh, she was sort of, oh no. And he went up and said to, the hotel manager was there looking really worried that this person is sort of dead in his lobby. And uh, so this per the guy went up to the situation and said, uh, I'm a Christian, can I pray? And the manager said, please, please pray anything, you know, because he doesn't want this dead body in his hotel lobby. And uh, so he went over and he just started to speak life over this person. He started to speak life. He rebuked the spirit of death and he started to speak life to this person. And uh, the guy gave a cough and sat up. Sat up. Well, I tell you, when they came back to their room later that night, there was this massive bouquet of flowers, a huge bowl of fruit, a big thank you from the manager, because his hotel has not appeared in the newspapers with a dead person in the lobby. Listen, I'm not, this is, I, you know, I'm, it's good to laugh, but it's serious stuff, isn't it? But I thought, wow, would I have got back in the lift and gone back up to my room? Would I have had the guts to say, can I pray, even if nothing happened? Surely we should try. If we see someone sick, surely we should try. If we see someone, they're going to hell. Surely we should try. 
Amen. Let's be different. I, I'm, I don't know if there's anyone in this room that's in the first category of being an unbeliever today. I don't want you to be in that category. I think we're all definitely in the category of being believers, but I don't want to be in that middle one. I don't want to be a fleshly believer. I don't want to be a carnal believer. I don't want to be a, be a believer who is the worst of both worlds. It's like being Luke, that lukewarm in Revelation, isn't it? I don't want to be in the middle. I want to live a life where I'm building with great materials on a wonderful foundation where I'm eating meat and I'm partnering with Jesus to do the work that he's called me to do here on this earth. Amen? Amen. Why don't we pray? Stand up and let's pray. I think we should just all put, well, you don't have to, but if, if you're responding to this message, I've got my eyes shut, but I'm putting my hands up. Put your hands up, and I'm just going to call out to God for us this morning. Lord, we come to you today. God, we pray, get a hold of us this year, Lord, in a fresh way. Lord, we want to re- repent of any sense of worldliness, fleshliness, carnal nature in us, Lord. We don't want to be like that. We want to be spiritual men and women this year, Lord. We want to be those who engage with you, who know the mind of Christ, who live the life that you've called us to live. We want to fulfill your destiny upon us. We want to be those who change our city, Lord. We don't want our city to change us. Lord, give us a fresh passion today, we pray. Touch us now. Breathe upon us anew. Stir up that fire within us, Lord. Don't let us go home and be the same. We don't want to wake up tomorrow and forget this message, Lord. It's your word. It's your truth. It's your life. God, touch us, we pray. Lord, may we be those this year that eat meat and build with gold and silver and precious jewels on the wonderful, wonderful foundation that is Jesus in our life. Amen. Amen.